Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking in to the best Houston sports podcast and joining me as always, my co-host, Stephen Kerr. And if you're a first timer, Stephen is a sports writer, sports radio personality, lifelong H-Town sports junkie. And this week, he's also overjoyed that Jordan Alvarez <laughs> is $150 million richer. Yeah, I'm overjoyed for several reasons, Robert. One of which is that, you know, if, if Jordan is a nice guy, maybe he'll lend me some of that money. <laughs> the, <laughs> the, the other reason is really the same reason I think that every Astros fan is. It means we're going to have Jordan until he's at least 31, right? If, if I'm calculating correctly, that's when his new extended contract will end, Robert. He'll be 31 years old. And so, yeah, great week in Astros uh, here with Jordan getting that extension that, quite frankly, if that hadn't happened, I mean, I know we have lost a number of guys, you know, Correa, Springer, and all that, but they waited until those guys went to free agency. Well, they didn't do that with Jordan. They very wisely locked him up for the next few years. Since he's made his Major League debut, his 156 WRC+, plus which means he's 56% better than the league average hitter, Stephen, just so you know. It only trails Mike Trout among all qualified hitters during that time. He's currently leading the majors in hard hit rate, expected slugging, and expected WOB. So, Stephen, getting him for $26 million per season in the last three years of that deal at ages 29 through – it's it's really 32 because I think he's going to turn 32 by that point. But it's a steal. It's an absolute steal. It is an absolute steal, and it's good that Jordan was was willing to do that. You know, some players are and some players aren't. You know, some want to test the waters. They want to get as much as they can get. But I think Jordan, you know, purely enjoys the game of baseball. He hasn't forgotten where he came from. And the, the fact that he, he is so loved, you know, with the Astros. And, you know, Robert, here's the thing is that there are the questions that people had about Jordan. I, I think Jordan has addressed them quite nicely. You know, they questioned whether he could play the outfield consistently. Well, he has done that. Is he a great outfielder? No, not yet. But he's certainly average at the, at the very least. And, you know, the knees, the issue with the knees, at least to this point, hasn't been an issue. They seem to have both been repaired. And I'll knock on wood just so that we don't, <laughs> you know, jinx anything. But I, I think this is one time where you can say that Jordan has risen to the occasion in the areas other than what we expect him to, which obviously is the hitting, and has addressed those areas. And at least at this moment, as we're speaking, they seem to have cleared themselves up. Hopefully they will continue, but you know, you just, you never know with baseball, but I still think it's a great deal nonetheless. I don't know if there's even a question that Jordan is the Astros best player, which is strange to say, Stephen, because, you know, this guy's only played well, not even played two full seasons worth of regular season games. He's still over 40 games away from that. Well, that's the scary thing is, that, you know, he could get better. Uh, and, and if he gets better as an outfielder and, you know, better as a base runner, he's going to be even more of a threat. Uh, you, you know, you talk about a five to a player. Well, if he got those skills down, he certainly would be close to that. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, the fact that he's really just getting started, you know, the, the 2020 season, the COVID and the knee injuries and, and that sort of thing slowed him down. But when he came back, Robert, you know, it didn't take him that much time to get going. Certainly not this season. He is signed longer than any other Astro right now. His contract goes past 
the Lance McCullers deal. And there are great contracts. And then there are ugly contracts, Stephen. And I got to mention an ugly contract before I get out of the contract mode because Alex Bregman is sitting on the opposite end of the spectrum as we speak. Bregman's hitting 217. His OPS, the lowest of his career. Uh, you know, next season and the following season, he'll make $30 million a year. Think about that. I should say his OPS plus is the lowest of his career. I don't know. His OPS might be too, but I, I you know, for, for you uh, eggheads, it's OPS plus is <laughs> lowest of his career. Yeah. Alex Bregman. I honestly thought that this was the year that Alex Bregman would have a comeback year. I mean, I really predicted that, that, that he would be healthier, that he, he would straighten out some things that obviously slowed him down last year. Well, quite, quite clearly that hasn't happened, Robert. And, you know, if it goes on too much longer, we may be asking the very same questions about Alex Bregman that we did about Carlos Correa a few years ago. Remember how we were talking about wondering if the Astros should trade Carlos Correa or, you know, is he going to be able to come back from these back injuries and things like that? Well, those questions are going to be plaguing Alex Bregman sooner rather than later. And, you know, some people are already asking them, obviously. And Dusty keeps looking at his baseball card from 2019. I don't know what's going on. He keeps putting him in the three <laughs> spot. I, I, I don't know what he sees. Well, you know, if, if we could bottle up what you did in, in the best season you had or in 2019 in Alex's case, you, he might have something there. But unfortunately, you can't do that. Yeah, I looked at the lineup card for we're recording this, what, on Tuesday night as the game with Seattle is getting underway. I looked at the lineup card earlier today, Robert, and – yeah, Dusty's made some changes, but uh, Alex is still sitting in that third spot. He's not one of them. Yeah, he just doesn't want to move him. And I, I don't know if that's just he's trying to give him confidence or whatever. But at some point, you got to give up the ghost. Uh, one big story right before we started recording, Stephen, we just found out Hector Neris is getting a four-game suspension for what Major League Baseball calls throwing at the head of Suarez with the Mariners after both teams were warned. Any thoughts on this, Stephen? I thought it was much more egregious than the lame Ryan Presley warning and ejection the night before. But, you know, four-game suspension for Neris. It just seems like the Astros are getting the back end of all of these uh, umpiring uh, rulings and things like that. Well, and it does. And, you know, it's been a weird week as far as that goes. I mean, the whole Presley thing I thought was such a joke. And I, I think Ryan Presley definitely has a point. I mean, why are you going to get thrown out of the game? Because you question, you know, what, why you're being warned. And that whole situation really, I, I think, was blown out of proportion. But, you know, the Hector Neris thing, I mean, you, you don't throw behind a batter. I mean, that's just one of the things you don't do. And he'd been warned. He did it. And, yeah, four games. I mean, that's, uh, you know. It's, it doesn't really surprise me too much, as much as I hate to say it. But, yeah, that situation certainly may be more warranted than the Ryan Presley situation. I, I just couldn't understand that. Maris is going to appeal. I almost wish he would take the suspension because he's not having one of his better stretches right now, <laughs> if you look at things. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he might need the rest anyway. So maybe he should just serve it and get on with it. But, you know, there, there's a matter of pride with this. He doesn't believe that he did anything wrong. So he's going to take the due process if it's going to be given to him. They put Mashinsky on the IL after an injury and brought up Belak. And maybe I'm missing something, but Stephen Belak's whip at Sugarland is one for one. Not exactly excitement level stuff out of a, a, a young prospect who is not a young prospect, FYI. Anoli Paredes, 1.05 uh, whip. 
0.41 ERA. Uh, what's what's going on? And it just seems like there there must be something we're not seeing in Sugarland that the the Astros are or is this an option issue? How many options they want? They just want to make sure Paredes when he comes up, he's he's ready to go for good. But I mean, I, I you know I loved what I saw from him. He had one bad month or two start starting the season after the pandemic year, and and he just hadn't gotten a shot again. Yeah, it's funny how some pitchers, you know, they they get it, they they start out great, and then they mess up, and you send them to the minors, and you don't see them for maybe a couple of years if if you see them again. And then there are other pitchers that you keep going to time and time again. You know, Brian Abreu is one of them. Brandon Belak's another one, and and he's one that you know they obviously just feel. It, it's a familiar thing, and they just believe that maybe he can give them a little bit more against both right-handers and left-handers than someone like Anoli Paredes, who, as you said, has great stuff, and he got his chance and did pretty well for a while, but maybe they're just not quite ready to go to him just yet. Yeah, I, I, I'm not talking much about the major league level because it just seems like the Astros are in a good place at the moment anyway, and you know they're doing everything that you want them to do. At this point, I mean, there's a bump in the road here and there, but overall, they're playing well. I, I did want to bring up uh, one thing that that leans towards the future. And Stephen, we know the catching position. The guys are getting older. They're closer to retirement. We thought we'd been waiting for Corey Lee in that era to begin at catcher. But as I pointed out on Twitter, Stephen, unless Corey is Maldonado as a defensive catcher, which is not what I hear, then maybe we've got it all wrong. And Luno whiffed on that first round pick. And the answer isn't Corey Lee, who's got a 738 OPS in the minor leagues. And in Sugarland this year, it's a real bad 672. Although for the Astros as catching, if we get a 672, I think we're going to hold a parade. You're doing pretty good. But uh you know, Yanner Diaz, 848 OPS, 821 this year in Corpus. Um, offensively, Diaz, without question, the better prospect, Stephen, and he could be the steal of this Miles Straw, Phil Maton trade. And 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 I, it just seems like it, he's more and more of the likely successor of the, the two elderly catchers that the Astros have. Well, that's really not a surprise. And I think we even talked about that when the trade was made is, you know, Keep a, keep an eye on this guy, Diaz, because, yeah, he was in, I think, A-ball at the time, but they were touting him pretty highly even then, and so far he hasn't disappointed. And, you know, that just goes to show, Robert, that some of the guys who are highly touted just don't cut it, and some that you don't really think about, or they may be in, you know, such low minor leagues like in Class A that you just don't give them much thought, but they keep popping up on the radar, and Diaz is one of these guys. Yeah, we'll we'll be interesting to find out where the Astros go next with the catching position because we've you know we've been spoiled with Maldonado's defense. Uh, obviously, this offense with the catchers is is bad, and it, I, I wish one of those guys would step up and maybe by the end of the year we could see him in the major leagues. And you know, I don't I don't know if Castro is you know it, it, they've just got him locked in, and no matter what, he's going to be the backup, but. You know, I, what do you think of Castro, Stephen? Because he he must be a hell of a pitch caller because defensively he's not good and offensively he's not good. I, you know, he, there's too many pass balls and all that. Yeah, I, well, he's certainly no Maldonado. There's there's no question about that. You know, he in the past has been at least somewhat of a better hitter, but he's really not doing that much this year. And I I don't think you know certainly after this season, 
I don't think you're going to see a Jason Castro in an Astros uniform. And, you know, he's a good guy. And, yeah, I think the pitchers like him. But the results just aren't speaking for themselves on well, either well, side. Well, he says it's his last year. I, my thing is, is, is it going to be the last year before the end of this year? He says he's done <laughs> at the end of the year. But I, that's yeah. my point is I think he could be done, you know, potentially. Before, well, he could be if one of these guys really, you know, they felt like they were ready. You know, I'm, it, it's a long shot. I'm just saying it, it would be nice if Diaz was ready, at least from the offensive standpoint, and can – give you an inning or two in the playoffs, but at least be somebody that you could pinch hit instead of, Oh, you know, who we got to pinch hit. If something happens to, you know, and, and, and in the late innings and Maldonado's spot in the order comes up, it just seems like you got, you got nobody. Well, I don't know if you're going to see Diaz quite as soon. And, and a lot of it depends on whether they make a move at the trade deadline and try to get a backup catcher. I, I don't know that they're looking in that direction, it might be a little early for Diaz, you know, to come in this season. But the fact that, you know, they did trade Michael, Michael uh, Papirski. I can never say his name right. So that clears the way for something. And, you know, the next month and a half or so, anything could happen, whether it's the trade deadline or somebody gets hurt. Then you may have to dip into that system. And somebody like Diaz could be up sooner than we expect. And I guess it matters a lot more this year with, with offensive catcher because, you know, the rest of the lineup hasn't looked as good and if you can get Yuli going and Brantley you know going a little bit better and some of these other guys that you're used to hitting well obviously Bregman that we just talked about I mean that that would be huge um were there were there any other Astro notes that you had Stephen anything that that you've thought about over the last few days well you know we haven't talked much about uh, the, the great season that uh, Corey Jolks is having in Sugarland. I mean that's a guy you, you probably want to keep an eye on too when we're talking about outfielders on our last podcast you know, it, depending on what he keeps doing, we might see him sooner rather than later. It's just all depending. But just a name to keep an eye on. And we've seen him in spring training a little bit over the past couple of years. But, boy, he's he's doing some great things with the Space Cowboys right now. Yeah, former Cougar, uh, hitting a ton of home runs. You, you hope it keeps going and it translates. But, you know, just wait and see. I mean, of course, Jake Myers got his uh, – got his minor league stint going. So that's the guy you hope right. is going to rescue a little bit in the outfield more than anybody. We'll see what happens with him. Um, I, I want to get to your this week in Astros history, Stephen, in a bit. But uh, another big thing that happened right before you and I went on, the Angels fire Joe Madden and name Astros legend Phil Nevin as their interim manager. And I don't know if you remember this, Stephen, but the Astros drafted Nevin with the first overall pick in the 92 draft he gets called up in 95 only gets 69 total plate appearances they send him to triple a tucson he cusses out manager terry collins and gm bob watson when they did that he was not happy about that and not long after that nevin gets dealt to the tigers for somebody named mike henneman do you remember this whole story <laughs> uh i don't remember mike well i do remember the name mike henneman i do remember that whole nevin situation robert and, and i also remember he was another guy that everybody was talking about. Oh, look out for this guy, Phil Nevin. He's going to come in here and do some great things. And, well, he, he did more things with his mouth than he did with his bat. A very fiery competitive player for sure. But, yeah, cussing out your manager and GM, not something I'd recommend if you want to uh, go up the totem pole with any organization, you know, whether it's a regular company or baseball. But, yeah, Phil Nevin as a manager, that should be interesting to see, I guess, you know, if 
if they were looking to light a fire under the angels, well, <laughs> maybe they picked the right guy, but I don't know. You know, that was a long time ago. Maybe he's smoothed things out since then, but yeah, very interesting choice, I must say, for the Angels. Well, you you might wonder why he would have cussed those guys out and what was going on. This is the part of the story which I bet you don't remember, Stephen. The Astros trade Ken Caminetti to the Padres before that season. So with Caminetti right. no longer there, Nevin hoped he's going to be named the starting third baseman that season, but they did not invite him to spring training. Nevin attributed the snub to his refusal to work out with replacement players during the work stoppage. Remember, this is the 94-95 season. So in that area where they had the work stoppage. So here's, here's the story. Not wanting to be seen as scabs by the MLB Players Association, minor league players who felt they'd play in the bigs after the resolution of the strike felt pressured to avoid playing uh, with replacement players. So when Nevin... And Billy Wagner refused to play with the replacements. Bob Watson issued an ultimatum saying anyone who refused to play in the team's first exhibition game would be sent out of camp until further notice and held in breach of contract. The Astros send Evan back to Tucson to start the 95 season. So that would have pissed him off. And Dave Magadan, uh, he starts at third base on opening day. So Nevin's a little pissed. Then he gets dealt. And you said, wasn't a good hitter with the Astros, but you know what? People forget this. He was an 814 career OPS guy in 12 major league seasons. He turned into, but you know, I, you yeah, he did it later was, on. He, he did yeah. after he left the Astros, he did pick it up. But, but when he was with them in their organization, he was not all that everybody was cutting him out to be. I do remember that. I, I don't remember the Nevin situation in that respect. I certainly remember the controversy about the, the replacement players. And there were a number of players around the major leagues who did that. I, I don't remember, you know, Nevin specifically doing that. So that's a good reminder. Yeah. Here's another great part of the Phil Nevin story. You got Astros scout Hal Newhauser quitting because he wanted to draft another guy with the first pick in the draft, not Bill Nevin and his name, Stephen, who was, who was that guy that he wanted to draft? <laughs> Tell me. Derek Jeter. Oh, that Derek <laughs> Jeter. You know, I think I've heard of him. Didn't he play for the Yankees or somebody? And uh, yeah, that, that name sounds vaguely familiar. Well, yeah, Hal, you got it right. Unfortunately, you just couldn't convince your club to get it right. Oh, yeah. And there was, it was, I think some money had a lot to do with that situation. Well, too, sure, sure. Which, uh, not surprising. Trivia question for you, Stephen. Who's the only pitcher to ever win back-to-back -back MVP awards. Do you know? Uh, not, off the, not offhand. Former Astros scout, Hal Neuhauser. <laughs> oh, really? Now, I never would have guessed that. I never yeah. would have guessed that. Yeah, that's the guy that, that, that wanted Jeter. Hall of Famer, he knew what he was doing. He obviously, well, he, you know, and even as a pitcher, you, you certainly know a good hitter when you see one if you face him every day, right? Yeah, yeah. And got a quick note before uh, we go into your Astros, uh, this week in Astros history. Uh, the, the next topic um, is going to be fun after, the, after we get the Astros history. But if you missed it, I had an NBA draft expert, Corey Tulliba, on the pod yesterday. Great Rockets conversation. Go check it out. The draft just a couple of weeks away. Two weeks from Thursday, believe it or not. Uh, so you need to go check out Corey. And let's get to it, Stephen. What's, what's your This Week in Astros history? 
Well, what I have, Robert, is occurred on June 4th, 1989. You know, the Astros have had some marathon games, but this was one of them. They beat the Dodgers 5-4 to four in a 22-inning marathon. Rafael Ramirez, remember him? Well, he got the game-winning hit to score. Bill Doran, I know you remember him. The Dodgers had Jeff Hamilton, a position player, pitching. Fernando Valenzuela, yes, the pitcher, was playing first base in that inning. And Ramirez's hit glances off Valenzuela's glove. The game took seven hours and 14 minutes. And if that wasn't enough, Robert, the two teams, because, you know, it, it went, ended up going into the next day, right? So the two teams played another extra inning game later that afternoon. And the Astros won that one seven to six in 13 innings when Mike Scott pitched in relief and he hit a game-winning sack fly. Well, that's something we're never going to see again now that the DH is in both leagues, Robert. And the other interesting note about that game where Mike Scott hit the sack fly, there was a high school student named Robert Land in the stands uh, for that particular game. And I could not believe that I was stuck with this game where everybody was going to be exhausted after 22 innings. And that game was just fantastic. My favorite part about that entire game, Stephen, extra innings, Craig Reynolds, who was a career shortstop. I never remember him playing anywhere but shortstop. Maybe he played another infield position. like He did occasionally play some other infield positions. Yes. He ends up in left field and there's a, with one out, there's a ball hit into the outfield to Craig Reynolds and it's the sinking liner or sinking, you know, Texas leaguer into left field. And Craig Reynolds comes up. He can't quite get there to catch it, but he gets it on a quick short hop, and he's going towards home when that happens with the runner on third base. And the guy's got to wait because, you know, if he catches it, it's a sack fly opportunity. And so he has to take off at that point. And Craig Reynolds like a shortstop, one hops it and sidearms it to home plate and throws him out for the out to save the run and and send it to another. I mean, this was an extra inning to send it to another extra inning games. And Mike Scott, remember, two games before that, had outdueled Fernando Valenzuela in an incredible game uh, to, you know, another one of, you know, many incredible games Mike Scott had in that era. But he he won the game and then he gets the sack fly to get and he was a terrible hitter if you remember he was that a terrible hitter <laughs> he was one he was one of those guys that you kept wishing that you know the designated hitter would come to the national league because yeah he was certainly not but so that's interesting so you actually ended up being a part of my this week in astros history robert and you, back then you didn't even realize it i think i was in the skybox for that game too oh wow, wow and, that's and awesome there, and if I remember correctly, and, and and you looked it up, I'm sure, I believe it was Craig Biggio hits a home run in the ninth inning in that 13th Yeah, I believe game. he did. He did. And he mm-hmm. ties the game. He tied the game and sent it to extra. It was it, it was unreal. That whole weekend was unreal. That whole streak that the Astros they ended up winning 16 out of 17. The one game that they lost was when Mark Portugal got called up and Mark Portugal made an entire career after that call up because he pitched really well and stayed in the major leagues. And the Astros ended up in that 16 out of 17. They faced Mark Davis, who won the Cy Young as a reliever that year. And in two games, they got Mark Davis uh, 
to to take a L in in the ninth inning, and those were the only two blown saves Mark Davis had the whole year. Like I said, he w- he won the Cy Young Award. So inc- wow. incredible, incredible stretch of baseball for the Astros. Well, there you have it, my this week in Astros history. It was quite something. Yeah, I can't remember what I had for breakfast, but I remember uh, all of that <laughs> for some reason. Um, next uh, topic, and boy, we talked about Jordan Alvarez. And that contract, and we said, well, maybe that's the best Houston sports news in the last week, or maybe it wasn't the best Houston sports news of the last week, Stephen. Maybe it was the second best sports news because, uh, well, do you know where I'm going with this? What do you think could be number one? Well, you're not going, are you, are you leaning toward the uh, Romeo retirement? Oh, no, no, no. That, 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 <laughs> I didn't <laughs> think so, because that's not the best news. That, that's actually some sad news in my in my regard. Yeah, we're going to get to that uh, pretty soon. But no, it's Marcus Sasser is not entering the NBA draft. Yeah, that is great news. Boy, I, I tell you what, when I saw that, I was very, very happy. You know, I think as he put it, we've got some unfinished business. The Cougs backcourt now is Sasser, Tremont Mark, and Jamal Shedd. Don't forget, they also got a McDonald's All-American in the front court, And I want to say AP... Steven had them ranked number three in the top 25 coming out of the gate. Yeah, that sounds about right. And I tell you what, Kelvin Sampson just keeps adding it on. You know, we, we hope that Traymond Mark can come back and have a much better season. I mean, he battled injuries all year long. So, you know, maybe this next season will be when he puts it all together because he was certainly crucial the year before. But, yeah, putting those guys together and then getting Sasser back, I mean, that is big because, honestly, I wasn't too confident about that happening until he announced that. Yeah, we've seen these other Cougar players that go in early and say, well, they might end up changing their mind. They don't. And Sasser is a guy that, you know, can create shots for you. And you're you're in a NCAA tournament situation. And how huge would it be to have a Marcus Sasser out there that uh, can get you, but can score 20 at any particular time, can handle the basketball. I mean, it's just, I can't even tell you how cool that was. If If, if you... If you were root for the rooting for the Cougars, uh, I mean, it, it, it's probably the best offseason news that you could have outside of you know getting another uh, another great recruit or two. I'm sure. Well, I think really it's the best news the Cougars have had. The basketball team has since they made sure to re-sign Kelvin Sampson. That, that you know that was pretty big news too in the offseason. But yeah, this is big for sure. All right, you mentioned what I was coming up next on, which is Romeo Cornell retiring after 50 years. And it is sad news because man, what a career he's coached on 17 playoff teams that won 13 division titles, six conference titles, five Super Bowls. He helped the Texans win four division titles and two playoff games in five years as defensive coordinator. When he coached for the Texans, he became the oldest NFL head coach in history, which is, you know, something that that's, uh, you know, my, it might be there for a while. He was 73 years old. I don't know if that's going to happen anytime in the near future. And five of his assistant coaches became NFL head coaches, including current coaches Brian Dayball and Nick Sirianni over with the Eagles. And Stephen, I'd say he was also the only universally beloved coach under Bill O'Brien by the fans, of course, I mean. Well, I think that's certainly right. And, you know, ironically enough, Robert, uh, you know, he was, of course, a contributor uh, to the Patriots winning three Super Bowls. And You know how we feel about the Patriots. But but when it comes to Romeo Cornell, you know, look, there are just some guys you can't help but like. And it's not just 
you know, their success on the field, but it's the type of person they are, their integrity, their character. And Romeo Cornell was one of those guys. And look, you know, when even in an advisory role, don't make, you know, make no mistake, he was very much a part of the Texans defense, even when he wasn't the defensive coordinator. So not having him around in any capacity, yeah, it's going to be weird to, to look at and not see Romeo Cornell anywhere near that. And he may make some appearances every once in a while. You know how retirement is. You kind of get bored and you might pop up in once, you know, every once in a while and say hi, maybe pass along a tip or two. But yeah, definitely sad to see Romeo Cornell go. What a guy. Yeah, he kept class in the building when Bill O'Brien was in the building. He was one of the few parts of that. I was out there a ton between 2013 and 2018 and 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 saw the way he handled himself. Um, just a really good guy and, you know, coached under Bill Belichick and Bill Parcells and they'll get all the credit, but make no mistake. It, it's not an accident if Romeo's coaching under both of those guys as they're going to Super Bowls and doing great things. And, you know, some of the guys that he coached over the years, I mean, some of those great giants linebackers, remember that Steven, I mean, just uh, right. LT right. and I mean, just so many fantastic players with the giants and then as well with the Patriots. So, and he's a guy named JJ Watt, whatever. whatever yeah, there is that guy. guy. I mean, look at 50 years of coaching. Can you just imagine the long list of names, big names that Romeo Cornell coached? I mean, that that's pretty impressive to look at. I'm sure. Yeah. And JJ and LT in the same career. And we're talking probably two of the best four or five, probably best two. Three, ever. three, yeah. three defensive players ever at four or five, maybe a stretch Reggie white. And, and, and maybe those two guys are the, the conversation, at least for, yeah. for me, they're, they're kind of the conversation, but yeah, incredible career. Uh, last thing I had, Steven need to do three more hat tips besides Romeo this week. Number one, Coco golf graduates from high school while she was at the French open. And then she makes her first major championship final. So quite a week for her second hat tip. Iga Sviatek won her 35th straight match in the French Open Finals. Not only are both Coco and Iga great young players, but when you hear them speak, you can't help but be impressed with them as human beings. Total class. Women's tennis is in good hands. I loved both watching them and listening to them over the last couple of weeks at the French. And the third hat tip, Stephen, you know where I'm going with this. Rafael Nadal, 14th. French Open Championship. Pete Sampras mm. retired as the leader in majors with 14. Nadal has 14 just at the French. What else can you say about it? Is this guy a machine? I mean, he can't be human. So he must be a machine that just keeps cranking it out. I mean, that is just absolutely impressive. And, you know, getting back to Coco Golf, can you imagine if somebody asked her, so, you know, what'd you do in your high school graduation? What? Well, I, I played in the French Open. You know, just like a common everyday thing that everybody does, right? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty impressive. All three of those. Yeah, and Iga was repping the Ukraine and talked about the Ukraine yeah. uh, after the finals, and and then you had Nadal, you know that his his uh, semifinal opponent goes down with look like broke his ankle, or I I, I haven't caught what uh, they they ended up uh, saying that it was, but. He goes down in the in the second set, and it, it was gonna it was gonna be a great match. It was already heading there. It was like three hours and two sets, and he goes down, and he's you know they're back, they're back uh, in the in the uh, locker room, 
And what happens is uh, he finds out that he's not going to be able to play. So Stephen Rafa comes out and starts picking up and cleaning up his stuff out there for him. Uh, just, I mean, Nadal, man, it's just, it. that guy is just not only incredible tennis player, but, you know, one of the best human beings that we've seen in, in, in the history of tennis. Well, it's interesting that, you know, you followed up Romeo Cornell when you're talking about class, you know, with a guy like Rafael Nadal, who not only is a great player, but is also a man of class. So, yeah, you're, you're talking about that guy is as classy a player as he is a great player. Nothing that comes out of his mouth is anything but the perfect thing to say after a tournament. I mean, he is one of the guys that you just, you're, you you can't help but, you know, be happy for him when he wins because of the way he treats everybody and the way he acts. It's just, it, it, love Rafa. Well, you know, quite a contrast when you talk about some of the other great players like John McEnroe, Jimmy Connors, you know, guys like that. You know, it's been a while back for them, but uh, they were great players, certainly, but uh, they were not dull on the court either. <laughs> you know, but you would never see somebody like Rafael Nadal do something like what those guys did. Great week for everything. The tennis, Jordan, Mark, Marcus Sasser, all of it. And good to catch up with you, as always, Stephen. Thanks a bunch. You bet, Robert. Yep. It, it just seems to never be a dull moment in Houston sports. Even when we think things are going to calm down, they don't. So always good to catch up with you. We'll do it again soon. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.